Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures. And it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada Land. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada Land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. It's never an easy call with so many problems in the world to know where to direct the money that you donate when you want to help out in this world. But what I can tell you is that when you donate to CAMH, you're saving lives. We know about the opioid crisis. We know about the mental health crisis. They are doing the work. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where no one is left behind. Donate at CAMH.ca slash CanadaLand to help us treat addiction and build hope. Hey, guys, just found out about a new deal that Amazon is offering on pre-orders for the Canada Land book. If you pre-order by April 26, the book is 20 bucks, $20.07, and you get a $5 gift card for other stuff on Amazon. You know, it's almost as if Amazon is willing to sell you cool books at cost or maybe even at a loss in the hopes that while you're shopping, you might buy some other stuff. I think I'm catching on to this. Check it out, amazon.ca. And this episode is brought to you by Squarespace. Whatever your next big idea might be, you can count on Squarespace to help you create an eye-catching online platform that brings it to life. Go to squarespace.com right now. Use the offer code CanadaLand. You will get 10% off of your first purchase plus a free domain. Sandy Garasino, columnist for the National Observer. Good morning. Good morning. Today we're going to talk about democracy, BC style, and uh, we're going to talk about supply chain management, which will perform a lot better online if we title it the Trump Milk War. <laughs> Welcome back to Shortcuts. Thanks for having me. This episode of Canada Land Shortcuts is brought to you by Aaron Warner, Will, Joel Hibbard, Joel Dicao, Joseph Mathieu, Christy Diamond, Jared Hu, and Adam A. Donaldson. Adam, why did you decide to be awesome? 
because things are changing very, very quickly with the national media landscape, and it behooves us to make sure that someone is dedicated to watching the watchers. And this episode is also brought to you by Squarespace. Sandy, whatever your next big idea might be, you can count on Squarespace to help you create an eye-catching online platform that will bring it to life. Whether you're planning to start a new business, launch a creative project, or change careers, Squarespace's beautifully designed templates and customizable features give you everything you need to look like an expert right from the start. Plus, with Squarespace's award-winning templates, creating a beautiful website is simple and intuitive. So you just add and arrange your content into these pre-existing templates and suddenly you've got a beautiful website that is of your own for your project or yourself. There's nothing to install, patch, upgrade ever. If you do have a question, they have award-winning 24-7 customer support, incredible in-house customer support. You can think of them as your own IT department. So... Make your next move. Start your free trial at squarespace.com today. Use the offer code CANADALAND and you will get 10% off of your first purchase plus a free domain. Once again, at squarespace.com, use the offer code CANADALAND. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. We hear a lot about the opioid crisis. We talk a lot about the mental health crisis. These are serious problems. These problems affect us all. They've affected my life and my community. They're not intractable problems. I don't know what's going to solve them on a policy level, but day-to-day helping people, that's what CAMH does. They do it on the ground when people need help, and they do it through research. The team at CAMH gave our team a tour of their facilities, and we were really just blown away by the incredible heroic work that they're doing every day. They treat everyone with dignity, and their research is seeking and finding real solutions for everyone around the world. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where no one is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, It's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. The Premier facing some tough questions today in light of that scathing report that found two ministries and her own office were deleting emails about freedom of information requests. Plans are still moving ahead for a $5,000 a plate private dinner tomorrow night with BC Premier Christy Clark. The practice of granting access to our Premier in exchange for cash is coming under increasing criticism. Another ugly twist in BC politics tonight with the new Democrats now threatening to sue the BC Liberals and Premier Christy Clark over her allegation that the NDP tried to hack the Liberals' website. The rich and 
and famous love their private jets. And it turns out so does Premier Christy Clark. The Premier has dropped more than half a million dollars on private planes in the past five years. Sandy. Jesse. When last we spoke, you were basically making my eyeballs pop out of my head with uh, all of the gory, dirty details of just how democracy is practiced in British Columbia. <laughs> practiced? <laughs> and now uh, you got an election coming up. We do. What you have brought to my attention is the surprising frequency with which people exit the BC media, and a lot of people are exiting the media in British Columbia. They're exiting the media everywhere, but it seems Vancouver is particularly afflicted. Mm -hmm. But don't worry about journalists, because it seems like there is a soft landing for a lot of them within BC's Liberal government. Well, don't worry about journalists if they've got name recognition and they're known public figures, especially if they've been on television. That's who the BC Liberals are attracted to. The rank and file, you know, the uh, ink-stained wretches who are not so well-known might not have it so good. But yeah, I mean, this is one of the things that is a real kind of eyebrow raiser here, along with all the other things like no limits on corporate donations and Christy Clark going over to Calgary to fundraise in Calgary for BC elections, and along with just all kinds of things that are going on, like a conflict of interest commissioner who has a son who is a deputy minister. Yeah, I remember that one. (laughs) There's just something really kind of beautiful in that. You know, before there was Donald Trump, there was Christy Clark. (laughs) But in addition to that, now we have the media who are supposed to be covering the election or supposed to be covering these political parties and they're getting a soft landing and a feathered nest right in the home of the BC Liberal Party. So for instance, we've got two major candidates who are former global uh, reporters or anchors now running with the BC Liberals. The former associate editor of the Vancouver Sun is now working in Christy Clark's government on climate change. This is after he was director of the Fraser Institute. I mean, Christy Clark herself was a talk show host before she became the premier. And we've got other talk show hosts who are now senior public affairs officers, another CTV, BCTV anchor, Pamela Martin, is the director of engagement for the BC Liberals. And the reason that I bring it up and the reason I'm concerned about it is because it makes me wonder not about what they do after they go over to the Liberal Party or to enter politics, but is that affecting how journalists function and how they do reporting before they make these moves? Yeah. Look, this comes up from time to time. And, you know, some people say, look, there's, this has been happening since the time began. The journalists in politics, people, they journalists know politics and they got name brands. So it's just natural that there's going to be a bit of a bit of a revolving door between those. But we're not just talking about a revolving door between media and politics. It's sort of between media, the energy industry and politics. That's the interesting thing. Yeah. Yeah. So you've got Jazz Johal, a reporter for Global TV, who you brought up. He then went on to become a communications director for BC Liquefied Natural Gas. And now now he's a a, a liberal candidate in BC, right? That's right. 
And I just want to mention about Jazz Joe Hall, one of the things that's really interesting is that a lot of people point to a confrontation that he had in the previous election with the NDP leader who was ex- widely expected to win. And Jazz Johal did a pretty spectacular takedown of, uh, of, of that candidate over oil and gas pipelines. And subsequently, now you, you know, we'll go into what he's been doing since. Well, let's have a listen to a different confrontation Jazz Johal had. This is a clip that you provided to us. This is when he was still working for Global and a environmentalist protester, I believe, was confronting him about uh, the protester believed that he was demonstrating bias on, on environmental issues. And this is how Jazz Johal responded. 25 years, I've risked my life in war zones. You're telling me that I'm just doing this for the fun of it? Excuse me, start your own TV station then. Go. No, no, I'm go. just saying. I'm just saying, you don't know what you're talking about. I do know what I'm no, talking about. Don't. I watch you all the time. Well, I'm then just don't saying. watch. Don't watch. That's right. I've turned you off. I've turned TV off. Stop talking about that. Media is skewed. Sorry, but if you believe in our media, then you're talking about media. You have other media. choices. You have other media. That's right. Alternate media. Go for it. Excellent. No, somebody's got to say it. I'm sorry. Okay, say it. Doesn't mean it's true. Got six hundred thousand people watching at six o'clock. I'm sure. A million viewers by morning. People on my page believe the same thing. Your page. How many got that? What is this? A popularity contest? So here's some things he said to the protesters: Start your own station, then. Well, just don't watch me, then. You have other choices. You have other media. He says, kind of like scoffingly. And then he brags that, you know, we've got a million views by morning. How many how many people does your page have, <laughs> says the protester. And um, this was shortly before he went to work for BC Liquid Natural Gas? Yes, that was two weeks before he then took a job as director of communications for BC LNG. So he's pro- protesting that he is not biased, that there's no opinion. And at that point, you have to imagine he knows he's going to be going to work for the energy industry. Yeah, he's, he's nailing down his... Um, his compensation package while he's talking with the with the protesters, and you know th- this just kind of highlights the public were sensing that Jazz Joe Hall was not being straight. This was the perception, and lo and behold, behind the scenes, he's actually in salary negotiations with the oil and gas industry, and you know one wonders just the extent to which this is happening, and yeah. It has always happened, I guess, but it's a real worry now, couple of reasons. The media industry is, in a lot of ways, a sunset industry, and there are a lot of really talented people uh, who don't have any kind of job security, and industry offers great job security and much, much higher compensation. So it's it, to me, it's a really serious worry. And the other thing is, you know, it's easy enough to say, well, how many viewers do you have? Global has a million. Well, yeah, but the but the reporter only has that because the industry, because of the media industry that provides him with this, that platform. He wouldn't, you know, how much would Jazz Johal's blog be worth or any of these people's before they became a public figure because they're on television? Sure. And, uh, you know, I think there's also, I know that Global has a lot of dominance in the in the BC market, perhaps largely because of lack of other choices. It's a very strange media environment where there's like, 
I don't know, two newspapers that are owned by the same company, each of which maybe is as good as a half a newspaper. That might sound harsh, but I think Vancouver has pretty lousy newspapers. A, a, a shadow of their former selves, put it that yes. way. Yes. Fazil Millar, formerly of the conservative think tank, the Fraser Institute, which I believe gets serious funding from the Koch brothers, who have huge interests in the oil sands. He then went on to be the associate editor, editorial page editor of the Vancouver Sun. He basically was the gatekeeper of opinion at the Sun. And now he's the deputy minister in charge of climate. That's correct. You know, and and all the time that he was associate editor at the Vancouver Sun, he was constantly on the case of any kind of protesters and anybody who was concerned about the environmentalists or the environment, he was constantly on about them. He had a phrase for them. He called them bananas, build absolutely nothing, absolutely, uh, absolutely nothing, absolutely nowhere, whatever. But this was, this was... What's the final A for? <clears throat> That's almost clever. What, what do you do with the final A? I, Bana- I'm so- sure if... <laughs> <laughs> that just popped into my mind, but he's, I mean, it's it's been a while since I've seen him go bananas on anybody, but he would go bananas on environmentalists. And now he is basically in charge of climate change policy for the BC government. I mean, like I say, before Trump, there was Christy Clark. And this is, this. <laughs> there's, just, there's almost nothing that's going on there. She should just start her own hotel and casino chain is my advice to her. Okay. So this is, I'm. I, it's sort of fun and shocking to gawk at this situation where there's like, absolutely no control on corporate donation. It's funny in a horrifying way that the Liberal Party, you've got her raising money from Calgary oil industry that, that, you know, that the dominance of the energy industry in her, in her own cabinet, in her own interests. And like that, that is pretty surprising. And you've got a scandal ridden administration. There was a hacking scandal. Like just the more I read about Christy Clark, the more fascinated I become but this is of particular interest to me because, because it coincides with this absolute gutting of the media. And, and what I want to know is like, you know, the knee-jerk response to this would be like, well, if she's so bad, you know, we kick the bums out. Is the media in BC equipped to deal with this? And like, I was trying to read up and I found like just this week, there was this glowing profile of Christy Clark where she's got her, her son in a form and fuzzy photo op. And it's all mm-hmm. about, you know, she's so busy, doesn't have time for her friends, but she always finds time to hang out with her kid. And that's the CBC. So like are British Columbians getting, I mean, I know that people are pretty fed up with her. At least that's the sense that I get. Like what's going to happen in this election? Well, um, I, I don't know what's going to happen because it's extremely fluid. I think voters are just kind of, starting to feel their way around to, well, what do I even care about? What is, what is the big, uh, big thing? But my, what you're pointing to about the media is especially concerning. And it reminds me, you know, what the great uh, US lobbyist, Jack Abramoff, who said that when he wanted to turn somebody to his, uh, when he, when he wanted to get access to a political leader, all he would do is just say to their gatekeeper, well, you know, after you after you're finished working here on the hill, come work for me. And he said, the minute I said that, from that point on, they were already working for me. And that's, there are two aspects about the, the BC media environment. Number one, 
the industry is very insecure, the compensation is poor, and nobody has job security, nobody. And the second thing is that this is a really small town. The whole province in the media scene is a very small town, so nobody wants nobody wants to say anything that is going to upset somebody at a party they're going to go to next week. You know, it's very, very hard to get anybody to really, you know, sharpen their swords and be tough um, because they're going to run into these very same people. And these very same people could be very powerful. They could have a very big impact on on your future. So where is that going to take us all into this election? Well, I think that the public, the BC public, I think is there's a strong appetite for change, but wanting change isn't the same as voting for change because what change? And I think there's the NDP has not really yet established itself. I, I think that a lot of people are, are, are going to be worried. You know, elections are decided by swing voters and swing ridings. And I think a lot of them are still waiting to see, well, Who's the alternative? Yeah, we know about Christy Clark, but she's sort of the devil we know. And the strong, I mean, the, the, the NDP can't come after her on her weakest point, this campaign uh, pay, pay for play stuff, because they do the same damn thing. Well, actually, they don't. I don't I, I, I'm going to I'm going to jump in there, Jesse, and I'm going to say that's that there isn't anything comparable on the scale. Yes, they do take donations, but but you don't see anything remotely close to what the liberals are doing. But does that make them dead on that issue? Because that, that, I've just been doing a cursory glance at this, and, and that was what was argued in the Globe and Mail, that uh, they, they can't come after her because they're vulnerable on that issue as well. Mm, you know, I've, I've done a fair amount of looking into, into the donation side. And, I mean, it, that, that's sort of like saying that anybody that accepts donations from corporations or unions at all cannot complain about somebody who is just slavishly going out and, and, and fundraising at an, an astonishing rate. And when you see the kind of arm twisting that even lobbyists and even the corporate sector is complaining about how much the BC Liberals are twisting their arms and making it plain that they're expected to donate. And if they don't donate, I wouldn't want to see anything bad happen. (laughs) The level is just so off the charts. I don't know. I think it's such a live issue that the public expects somebody to raise it and fight it hard. All right. Well, I, perhaps Gary Mason has misinformed me. I'll, I'll, I'll yeah, throw him under I, the bus I, for, my, for my own ignorance. The, and, and then you got the Greens apparently mounting a really strong campaign this time, but that eats into more of the NDP vote than the Liberals. Again, that's my understanding. Yeah, is, that, I would, is that on? I would say that's true. The, you know, the Greens in BC are, are really coming on as a serious player. They're not a little quiet, marginal, eat away at a percent here, a percent there. They are a really serious player. And their leader, Andrew Weaver, is widely respected and widely regarded as a really serious contender. That actually could undermine the NDP more than it will hurt the Liberals. So actually, Christy Clark loves the Green Party because they're kind of her ticket. Um, and the and the ridings where the Greens are strongest are NDP stronghold ridings. So they're not they're not really threatening 
the Liberals so much. I would say the NDP's biggest problem is that uh, their leader, John Horgan, has not really made a big impact. I bet you that if you polled, if you did a man on the street, you went out on the street in Vancouver and you asked uh, people to name the leader of the NDP, I'll bet you you'd get under 50%. There's that name recognition thing playing yeah. out again. Yep. Sandy, let's do some duly noted. <laughs> what do you got, Jesse? I, I got a follow-up on something that came up a long time ago when I was talking with a guest about about this crazy story in, in Newfoundland where a guy named Don Dunphy was tweeting at home. He was uh, a, an angry political commenter, and I think he said something about how he wasn't going to name names uh, of people he was criticizing in the legislature because it might hurt their families if he were to actually name their names. It's actually a very civilized thing to say, but it was uh, taken differently by a cop that, oh, I might hurt their families. That's a threat. And Don Dunphy ends up getting shot. Like That is the story, as I understand it. The, the, the cop says that he was uh, acting in self-defense, that Dunphy had a rifle up. Dunphy's family says that's impossible, ludicrous. And there is a huge inquest, the results of which we're going to find out this summer. But the story that the, that the update is on is on another guy, Andrew Abbas, who was tweeting his outrage at this Don Dunphy thing. And he tweeted some stuff that was pretty extreme. I think he was sort of more like in the vein of uh, something about executing politicians, but not in a, I'm going to do this kind of way, but like, this is what I'm going to say, come, come, come get me. An ill-advised tweet for sure, but I don't think that it uh, was necessarily a threat. Whatever the hell he was saying, the cops show up and he is taken to a mental institution against his will for this tweet. And Andrew Abbas was held, I think, for three days, and uh, a court threw out his complaint. Now, a court of appeals has just ruled in his favor. And I just want to quote what the court of appeals, the Newfoundland Labrador Court of Appeal, said about this. They're talking about his anger that he expressed about political events. Uh, Such anger and defiance are characteristic of political dissent. As the history of authoritarian societies has taught us, confinement in a mental institution is a particularly insidious way of stifling dissent, directly and through intimidation. (laughs) And on the one hand, like, hell yeah. And on the other hand, like, just, duh? Like, is this... Is this something that Newfoundland cops need a court to tell them that like putting people against their will in mental institutions is not how you deal with angry tweets about politics? And, you know, you're talking to a woman who, number one, female on the Internet, number two, has watched an awful lot of Twitter harassment and Twitter threats. This also strikes fairly close to home in my home. And I'm also have have had a fair amount of dealings with the criminal justice system. This is one of those things that it's hard to tell if you're not there. And I do, ah, I'm just worried about jumping to conclusions that somebody who made a threat on Twitter is that it's ridiculous to take them seriously. I hear you that that the idea that anything you say, hey, that's free speech, you know, even with if it's not about a signal to an impending violent act, I think we're starting to have a conversation about the actual consequences of the speech itself when somebody is made to feel afraid. I'm not sure that either of these cases qualifies, but I but I I think you'd probably agree that forcible confinement in a mental institution is not the progressive answer. What to this. did the evidence say? What did the what did the 
What was the mental health assessment? Well, that's part of this story. I want to I want to talk to this guy because apparently the co- the, the 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 doctors or two doctors who signed their consent for having him confined and that apparently it was based entirely on what the cops told the doctors about this guy's behavior, basically like what he said on Twitter. And uh, those assessments were not based apparently on any kind of like psychiatric evaluation. So there's questions there for like, like what the cops feel is within their authority and then why the medical system would play along with that if in fact they were influenced by the cops and were not doing an independent diagnostic on this guy. I'm going to, I'm going to call him up, but I wanted it before I did so. I wanted to duly note it. Duly noted. Sandy, what do you have? What I have is kind of like the vacuum. You know, we've got this we've got this election happening in BC and we've got the Conservative Party of Canada having their big leadership thing going on which I don't know what's even happening there, but what I think is fascinating is that, you know, big issues, big issues of of great enormity and import and importance to Canadians are coming and going. And I think a lot of people are not paying attention. Part of that is lack of media, lack of news and this kind of crisis. And part of that, I think, is that, and I plead guilty, so gobsmacked by what's going on south of the border that, you know, these kind of problems, these issues in Canada just seem sort of like, you know, crazy little problems in our crazy little world who who's really paying attention and those are the times that politicians and powerful people take note when nobody's paying attention and things go through and I worry about them and I worry about what's happening going to happen with the conservative party and I worry about what's going to happen in our election and in elections across Canada because people are not engaged. You're duly noting what is going duly unnoted. I guess that's the idea. (laughs) The empty space. The empty space. Yeah. I mean, it it sort of speaks back to our first uh, conversation about BC. It's just that at the same time that our media is as under-resourced as it has ever been, there is a hell of an entertaining show coming from uh, the American networks. And we're sort of seeing important issue after important issue take back burner to this all-encompassing Death Star of Trump. Yeah. Yeah, the, the big black hole of, of, of attention. We only have so much bandwidth and holy mackerel, can that guy attract attention. Duly noted, Sandy. Now let's talk about Trump. But before we do, I want to tell you about our second sponsor today. That is Camp Tech. Our friends at camptech.ca, they provide workshops on computers for grownups. In Toronto, Vancouver, and Ottawa, if you want to learn how to do computers better, Camp Tech is a wonderful option. You don't have to go for months to night school. You don't have to quit your day job and go into tech school. They hit that sweet spot of just helping you level up and keep your skills sharp on things that are becoming increasingly like just necessary tools in anyone's toolkit if you are just working in a, a modern workplace. We're talking about things like understanding Google Analytics, how to do online retail, getting some basic Photoshop skills, learning how to podcast. They offer very popular classes in that. These are half-day, one-day workshops. The one I want to tell you about today is Facebook advertising. They offer courses on Facebook and Google ads. Facebook and Google ads are not just for huge companies. They are surprisingly affordable and and effective if you know how to use them. We just started using them here for some of the stuff we're doing. And I'm amazed at how effective they are in just connecting your message with exactly the right people at a very affordable cost point. 
but you have to know how to use them. They're not intuitive. And CampTech will teach you how to do that stuff in one day. I asked CampTech founder Avery Swartz what kind of companies she is training to use Facebook and Google ads. If you have a like a bricks and mortar store, if we're talking like Main Street kind of businesses, there are so many great tools you can use online to optimize that both through Facebook and through Google, because so much stuff is now geo-targeted and uh, really specific to location. So we've seen people that own like coffee shops come to Camp Tech. We've seen florists. We've seen dog walkers, all kinds of people that have really, really small, very like neighborhood level um, micro businesses. Check it out at camptech.ca. We have a very outstanding trade relationship with Canada. We'll be tweaking it. We'll be doing certain things that are going to benefit both of our countries. Our relationship with Canada is outstanding, and we're going to work together to make it even better. And I've been reading about it, and I've been talking about it for a long time, and that demands really immediately fair trade with all of our trading partners, and that includes Canada. Because in Canada, some very unfair things have happened. It's another typical one-sided deal against the United States, and it's not going to be happening for long. Sandy, what happened? I thought he was just going to tweak NAFTA. We were so nice. We didn't embarrass him. Justin went down there and he shook his hand and he even did that that female entrepreneur thing. He made Trump look good. I thought that the big heavy Trump thing was just going to happen to Mexico and we were just going to get a little massage of NAFTA. How was our submission to Trump not recognized? Why is this happening to us? And where is Ivanka? Where? When is she going to save us? <laughs> We took her to a show. <laughs> I, wait, there's so many pictures. I thought she thought that Justin was cute. That was supposed she to be a thing. She thought he was cute. We thought it was all ironed out. It was going to be fine. What did he do? Margaret Wente said, that's right. Margaret Wente said it was a triumph of Trudeau's, <laughs> how little he annoyed Trump. We were, really, the, the whole nation the, like joined in praising Trudeau for not offending Trump. And then we're shocked now that he is trumping the trump is going to trump that's what's going to happen right i mean yeah but it seems yeah, like there's like yeah but hang hang on there i mean how much is he really going to trump one of the things that's sort of emerging out of this picture is that he goes off and he says these things and he even signs executive orders which now it's turning out are kind of like me show memos I don't know. Will he really? Is this really going to happen? Or is he doing a show because he was in Wisconsin and he couldn't remember Paul Ryan's name? <laughs> you know, I, I've just been marveling at how differently this is being covered in the American press versus the Canadian press. Here, it's this, you know, Trump takes aim at Canada. Mm -hmm. And then we, and then we're very, uh, when our own uh, ambassador David McNaughton sends a very polite but tersely worded letter just smacking America with, sci with science, sending uh, all these facts about how actually it's not so unfair the way that we have supply chain management and it's, it's weighted in favor of the Americans and, and you know, no, no fiery rhetoric. And that's the Canadian way. He's polite, but he's stern. And uh, we applaud him for that. And then I read like, the, it was the cover of the Washington Post and the headline was, the great dairy trade war that will test President Trump. 
<laughs> and we get this kind of classic story from Sheboygan, Wisconsin, about the Gartman family farm and how they're being sold under the river by, you know, the unfair Canadian practices. And maybe the dairy, the family dairy farm after many generations is going to go under. And this is a big test of, of Trump's rhetoric. Can he actually put it into practice? And it seems like all signs are pointing to like, this is an easy one for him. This is a gimme for him to, and like the, the symbolism of, the, of this saving the American dairy farmer from these predatory anti-American, a very unfair, very, very unfair trade deal with Canada. I feel like this is one where he can kind of score some points that he needs. If he can find his aircraft carrier, yes, yes. He could score points. And here's, here is actually why he could score points in spite of um, our wonderful ambassador's letter and all of that sort of thing is that we actually do have a problem with our dairy producers and we do have a problem with milk supply. I mean, this was a very big trade irritant when the TPP was being negotiated. Trump, by the way, and, and a resolution was found under the TPP, but Donald Trump took the Americans out of the TPP and out of the solution that was agreed to as part of the negotiations of that. So I guess we're back at square one and we and he wants to try and insert into NAFTA maybe some of the terms that he that ended up getting rejected out of the TPP, the Trans-Pacific Trade Partnership. But you know, this is a this is a tough one because I can sense that Canadians want us to, you know, really stand up to Trump here because we don't want to get pushed around. We're not gonna, you know, fall for that. But we do have a problem with our dairy suppliers and this L- Yeah. Can I ask you about that? And and like I here I fear with every cell of my being that I'm going to rattle the cages of every Canadian columnist who just goes on endlessly about supply chain management and its discontents. But is Trump kind of right on this one? Like, why do we protect these industries and drive down the votes. price of we do it yeah. for votes we do it for quebec votes because quebec has a massive dairy industry and ontario votes and we do it to protect them and you know what i have a real funny i have a thing about this because on the one hand yes we are so by the way are the french and other european countries but especially the french but in, but look isn't there kind of a difference between go to France and look at their agriculture, look at their produce, look at their dairy, their cheeses, all of this, and then the alternate model of total freedom and no barriers and anything is the American factory farm and McDonald's and all this crap that is just mass production. So I kind of feel like, yes, it is protectionism, but maybe there's a place in the world for that. Um, I don't know. <laughs> Look, if this was France-style protectionism where it was just about keeping the quality of raw milk unpasteurized cheeses at a uh, almost fascistic level of excellence, <laughs> I might be able to get behind it as an inner-city uh, downtown elite snob. But this seems to me just about like why this industry and not any other or why this industry above every other. And is it, again, the symbolism of protecting the farmer, which is like kind of belied by the agro-industrial complex. Like we always look at these families like that needs protection. That's part of our, that's, 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 you know, a more important job than any other. And the actual application of, the, of that industry is as industrialized as, as you can imagine. 
and Canadian dairy producers are entering the U.S. market and they are buying American production. You know, this is, uh, I think uh, it kills me to say it, but I think he might, Trump might have a point here, but I'm sure Ivanka will solve it. And if not Ivanka, Jared. Jared will milk that cow and we're going to be fine. Well, clearly we can sleep soundly tonight knowing that these issues have a firm hand on the wheel on both sides of the border. Sandy, thank you. That is your Canada Land Shortcuts. Thank you for joining me for it. Thank you, Jesse, for having me. People, you can email me anytime at jesse at canadalandshow.com. And we are on Twitter at Canada Land. Sandy, where can people find you? They can find me in the pages of the National Observer online and at Twitter at Garasino. Our website is canadalandshow.com. Our crowdfunding site is patreon.com slash canadaland. We are selling tickets to the upcoming, it's coming soon, tour of Canada in promotion of our new book, The Canada Land Guide to Canada. Check out canadalandshow.com slash book tour to see if we are coming to your town. I make this show with Russell Gregg and Ellie Graham. If you like what we do, please support us. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures. And it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada Land. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada Land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. A couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman found covered in blood. By all appearances, it was an open and shut case. But not in Belize, where this woman was connected to a mysterious billionaire who basically runs the place. Justice will not be served in this case. She's gonna get away with it. Or will she? White Devil, a Campside Media original. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.